If you're a small business owner looking to grow or expand your business, check out OnDeck Business Loans. OnDeck offers business loans online from $5,000 to $500,000, and their simple application process only takes 10 minutes. Unlike banks, they'll give you a decision quickly, and funding is as fast as one day. Get a free consultation with an OnDeck loan advisor. Visit OnDeck.com podcast. This is the Customer Equity Accelerator, a weekly show for marketing executives who need to accelerate customer-centric thinking and digital maturity. I'm your host, Allison Hartsoe of Ambition Data. This show features innovative guests who share quick wins on how to improve your bottom line while creating happier, more valuable customers. Ready to accelerate? Let's go. Welcome back to the second part of my interview with Silicon Valley big data technology legend, Bob Page. In the first part of our discussion, Bob introduced us to why you should care about the pit of technology despair through his, what I thought were incredible real world stories running big data analytics for eBay and Yahoo. And then we went on and discussed whether there were any ROI impacts that could happen behind all this tech, and if so, what that looked like. Now we're going to talk about how you can learn from a leader and apply this wisdom. Here we go. So Bob, in your experience, is there anything like, like a rule of thumb about how much to spend. Like I might know if I'm a product company, I spend X percent of my revenue on marketing. And if I don't spend enough, I'm not going to get enough. Is there any kind of rule of thumb for technology? I don't think so. I think it depends on the temperament of the company. Is it a technology company? Is it a data first company? Is it a customer first company? Maybe it's a marketing company. Maybe they pride themselves on support and service. What matters to you, what matters to, to the leadership of the company um, is going to determine how much they're going to want to spend on this kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. I do think it's critical, it's important for a CAO, a CDO to have a handle on what it is. If I went to the CFO and said, I'm currently responsible for burning a half a percent of the company revenue every quarter, and I'd like to double that. Okay, well, I'm going to get his attention, right? And he's going to say, well, what are you going to do with that? How am I going to get my investment back? Why shouldn't I make it a quarter percent instead of a half percent? So I think that, yes, there's a cost to building all this stuff, and there's an ROI, as slippery as it might be, but you still have to try to figure out those numbers. At a minimum, you can determine how much does your data program cost, you know, what percentage of revenue, for example, or as a percentage of your total R&D budget or your total expense budget. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. And just one more thing on this. considering the pace of change, how fast new technologies are rolling out and how fast they're becoming commoditized. Would it be fair to say that anyone who's looking to pick up technology should look for the most value, which doesn't mean the most features, the most value at the lowest cost? I want to say yes, but (laughs) there's so many corner cases. Yes, it's always about value. But is it value today versus value in 12 months? Because you don't want to keep rebuilding systems every year. Do you need to retrain your workforce when you bring in a new set of new technologies? 
Uh, and people costs are, in general, much more expensive than systems costs. Yeah. Well, let's say that I've decided that I'm I'm ready. I'm going to avoid the pit of, of technology despair. You know, help me understand, what should I do first? Well, first admit that you're not going to avoid it. <laughs> you, you, you're going to be in Lamb, it. Lamb, right, right into the ditch. <laughs> well, I mean, you get there by being successful in all of your efforts up until now, right? Mm-hmm. Everyone's excited, so everyone's going to march off and they're they're doing what they can to think about customers first and they're making sure their platforms and their systems are and their reporting and everything is done the right way and then they realize they could get more value if they were able to have data that that I have or you know vice versa. And so I would say you're in the pit. Now this may be a little pothole. You know, it may be a deep dungeon that you can't get out of because only you and the prince know the way in and out or whatever. But you can at least prevent yourself from kind of wallowing in it. So does that make sense? It does. It does. I just, I don't often hear the word wallow in business anymore, which is just so appropriate. (laughs) (laughs) Got it. Got it. So starting there, is there some kind of framework or a format you'd suggest? Yeah. One of the things that I did quite a lot when I was at Hortonworks was consult with companies that were doing Hadoop adoption. And they were trying to figure out what's the best way to get started? How do we don't shoot ourselves in the foot later on, et cetera, et cetera. And so there are some keys that I think are important. The first is inventory your systems that impact the customer. Now, you know, you might think on my website, my enterprise data warehouse, my reporting tools, but there's also other stuff, right? There's things that impact the customer experience, you know, your email campaign, yeah, your call center. Your bug tracking tool, right? If they have customer oh, yeah. data in them. That's a good one. You know, like so-and-so keeps reporting these errors or these bugs or whatever. You should know that. And even things like sort of have indirect impact on your customer, like say your supply chain systems. I mean, if you have stock outs or overstock, you can tie that to customer demand and you can do, you know, you can understand opportunities to your customers that way. You know, I have to detour on this for just a second because we once did this analysis that would have been perfect for what you're outlining here in terms of the inventory of systems where there was a big branding company and they were driving a ton of event and success traffic to this product retailing company. And what they were doing was blowing up demand, which would then reduce inventory and explode the call center. But they couldn't see this complete loop. And I think one time we figured out it was a ratio of 17 to 1 unhappy customers per minute. It was just (laughs) insane. That's crazy. Yeah, if you've got, say, let's think about the eBay thing again, or even the one you're at. If you don't tie your business development efforts and your marketing efforts together, even though they've got not necessarily anything to do with the customer, but that you want to market 10% off on all wristwatches. Mm-hmm. And you haven't talked to the business development folks and they haven't made sure that you've got plenty of supply. All right, well, you know, mm-hmm. they're left hand and the right hand are talking to each other. Should you be doing that through phone calls and emails and Slack channels and stuff? I'm not going to make that call, but it should show up in the data somehow. But, you know, um, you, you, you said it wasn't directly customer, but it actually is because the customer sees your organization as one entity. It doesn't yeah, see true. you as, you know, all these splintered business units. But, you know, you're one to them. Yep. Yep. Let, let me say for this inventorying the systems that have impacted the customer in some way, the inventory should not be this fine detail, right, where you've got every piece of data documented for every system. That's going to stop you from doing the work. 
Instead, it should be kind of high level, like what kinds of customer data is available and how does it impact the customer experience or customer value? Does it have any PII in it? Personally, identifiable information, which you need Uh to secure. And kind of roughly, what kind of data volumes are we talking about? Are we talking about petabytes? Are we talking about just a little trickle of data? It's a something that gets refreshed once a year. I mean, you know, like how fast is the data being is coming in, and how much of it do you have? That's kind of all you really need. Yeah, yeah. And from there, it's like primarily you're going to be focused on now these different systems and what have you. And so now it's like, okay, I have all this. Now let's build a consolidation point for that data. Call it data lake if you want. Call it customer data landing zone. I mean, call it whatever you want. But I think, again, being pragmatic about it, don't don't worry about what data is going to end up being relevant or high value. Don't worry about how long you're going to store it. Just think about getting the data and getting the data back to analysts and machinery and data scientists quickly. Mm -hmm. So if I could be prescriptive, I would say you want to look for the Hadoop distributed file system, HDSS. That's where the data should be stored. It's resilient. It's been proven over a decade. It's the place where you want your analytics data and your customer data. And this is like the 50-lane freeway, in a sense, that we were talking about earlier. Yeah, and the data is replicated so that, you know, if any one of your lanes crashes, everything just gets rerouted without any problem. You don't lose any data. So I would say go to Hortonworks or Cloudera. They're the two big public companies that are supporting Hadoop and doing a lot of work in the community to make Hadoop better. And just download. They each have a free Hadoop distribution. And then later, much later, once you've got system up and all that, you can decide that you want to pay them for things like support or, in Cloudera's case, for any proprietary technologies that they might have. But do that later because you can get started okay. for free. And well, then and I just, use good. I just want to ask a clarifying question here because one of the things you said earlier, and I, I just want to make sure I heard this right, you're not just talking about all the analytics data in the 50-lane highway and getting to it quickly, but I think what's also happening here is – because I'm not always, and maybe I'm, I'm not sure I'm getting this right, but because I'm not editing the core, I'm actually able to work with data sets without messing with the master systems and moving the master systems around. Is that what we're also saying? Yeah, that's a good point, and, it, and one that can't be stressed enough. You've got a bunch of operational systems now that work, right? that do their thing. Don't mess with them. Right? All you want to do is pull data from them Got into it. some other system where then you can do all your fancy stuff. Got it. So it's like my 50-lane highway is sitting on top of my office building of traditional data sets. Mm, yeah, that's it. A data, a data highway in the sky. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm lost now. <laughs> but, yeah, I would not prescribe people think about this as a rip and replace kind of thing. You're not saying we're going to throw away our existing systems or going to put this in place. Frankly, because you want some quick wins and it's very easy to think, oh, wow, wow, I I can get a Hadoop-based system in for a tenth the cost of my existing gold-plated analytics enterprise data warehouse. Maybe I should just do that and I can get a whole lot of value because I've reduced my cost. But what you don't think about is the fact that, first of all, the CFO and the CEO, they care about that stuff. But I think they care about additional revenue more. And so mm-hmm. think about your effort here in consolidating data about users and providing new user products or experiences as an opportunity to increase revenue sources. 
And that's something that's a whole lot sexier. Also, just to be very clear about it and to sort of further cement this idea that you should go after some quick wins on the revenue side instead of trying to do cost reduction. You've got probably years of business analytics encoded into your data warehouse and reporting systems today. Years. Do you want to just try to rebuild all that stuff in this new system? That's going to take, what, six months, a year for you to just port that stuff. And then that, that in fact, is giving you the same numbers because you've got to run these things in parallel for a while. Right. The rip and tear and that, strategy. Yeah. And so I would say, don't go there. We would not be able to produce this product or produce this value on our existing systems, but we can with these new systems. Mm-hmm. Eventually, eventually, people are going to be so excited about all the things that you're doing that they're going to say, and could this be used for cost reduction too? And you can say... Yeah. Well, in fact, we've been experimenting with that, and we have some good news, right? But you shouldn't be leading with cost reduction, in my mind. For these really? Yeah. I mean, that's interesting because I think a lot of people do lead with cost reduction because it gives an immediate, okay, payback on this particular number on our expense. Uh, I know that they do, and I know that the Hadoop vendors also talk about things like warehouse optimization. They've got code words, right? It's like we used to say, you know, right-sizing instead of downsizing or whatever. But this is similar. And, you know, I say that might be the way to go. Maybe you don't have a lot of business logic. Maybe you don't have years and years of, you know, hundreds of thousands of reports and tables and everything else that, that is sort of institutionalized in the way you do business. Mm-hmm. If that's the case and it's a quicker win to show some cost reduction, then great. But I think for uh, for anyone who's been at this for any amount of time, my advice would be put that off. Instead, show positive ROI of your system by generating new income. Because as I said, it's it's a lot sexier. Yeah, well, new income is uh, is definitely a fact. That's very attractive, especially when organizations work so hard to get it and keep it in the first place. So on your yeah. framework, I think we've hit three points so far. The inventory of the system, building that consolidation point for data, and it sounds like we just had a third one, which was using that new system to increase revenue, right? You know, to produce right, right. data and products that increase revenue. That, that makes sense. Are there more yeah. elements to the framework? Yeah, a couple more I'd recommend, but let me just finish on this one about the new products. How do you get there? I would say that Hadoop now supports SQL. Pull in a technology called Hive, comes with Hadoop, and now you've got SQL access, so all your analysts can get, your reporting systems can attach to it and what have you. But also there's something called Spark, and Spark is kind of the way in which people are doing a lot of analysis today and very, very fast. It also comes with Cloudera and Hortonworks. Hadoop distributions. So if you have those things, your data scientists are really happy because you're going to be able to <laughs> manipulate the data quite quickly. All right, so that would be the third one. So the fourth would be make the data available to all the departments. Okay, now I've heard a lot of heated discussion around this, so I really want to hear your point of view. Well, so I mean, on the positive side, you're going to be surprised at the insights that the company is going to come up with when they have all the data available to them. You know, marketing never thought to look at you know call center data before, but now. It's all right there. And so let's do some of that analysis and see interesting things that come out or don't come out. Mm-hmm. Now, there's, there's a bunch of gotchas, right? You've got to lock down any PII, right, as appropriate. Don't let every random person know every random thing about every random person. And also, you're going to have chaos on your hands if you don't document what the data is. You know, when you did your analysis, did you filter out robots? Did I? And different systems are not necessarily aligned in your system. You have a field called gender, and the values are either F or M or blank. 
And I have a system, in my system it's called sex, and it's a zero or a one or two. So how do those map? Well, probably have documentation about that somewhere. So I'm not suggesting that you do a data normalization effort across all your systems. I'm saying you should at least document them. And if you can provide some, you know, code snippets or whatever to help people have kind of the blessed way in which they should be looking at these things. But I think that's the key, right, is that blessed way. Because when I hear people struggling with this, what it often comes down to is this part of the organization is using this field to make the numbers look good in this way. And this part of the organization is using this very similar but slightly defined a different way. So that unification matters. Is that something that the... CFO or, you know, an office related to the CFO should actually get in and try to sort out? I think so. Yeah, if you think you're going to solve governance with technology, then you're much more a technologist than I am. Governance is not a technology problem, but it needs to be backed by technology. If you can't enforce it or assist it with technology, then it's it's hard to do. It's hard to govern the data, but there needs to be some set of agreed upon sort of gold standard for the things that matter the most to, say, the CFO, right, who's driving the business and setting up budgets and looking at contribution and attribution and all the rest, how things are being measured and and rewarded. Mm -hmm. Now, Mm -hmm. inside your own organization, you might have your own version of that same number because it better reflects the way you're thinking about it or the way, say, an industry group thinks about it. give you an example. At Yahoo, we had numbers that we would report to the business on things like visits and visitors and session lengths and durations and all that fun stuff. And we could defend it, you know, as this is what we measured directly and what have you. But the sales folks in the business, for the most part, didn't care about our numbers because all they would be able to do would be see how the numbers changed from prior period or how they relate to other businesses within Yahoo. Mm-hmm. But that's not who they competed against, right? They, could, they didn't compete against themselves or with other businesses. They competed with other web properties. And so they were relying on like a comm score or somebody and those numbers. And, you know, we would poo-poo those numbers. Those are samples. They're, you know, yeah. they're, they're terrible numbers, blah, blah, blah. But, you know, the reality is if you're advertising, you don't want everybody's internal numbers. You want some sort of standard that goes across all of the possible advertising places and Folks like ComScore are the people who you go to. So so that's why I say you might have different sets of numbers depending on what your needs are and who your audience is for the same thing. But you're going to only have one set of kind of North Star that you're going to govern the whole company by. And the CEO and the CFO have to drive that. You know, that's a whole other conversation of what that North Star is. And I know companies have spent as long as a year trying to figure that out. It's a difficult thing. Yep, it is. It is. One more. And that is, okay, now that you've got your system, you've got it in place, you've got the integration, your data scientists and your analysts are generating value or reducing cost or whatever they do, and your different departments are getting very interesting insights, now it's probably time to ask, what data is missing? Now that I've got all this, what am I missing? <laughs> yeah. For example, I mean, i give you two examples. One is you just bought another company. You're doing a merger or you're acquired oh, another company. Goodness. So you want to put together some kind of framework for bringing in new data and making that sort of resulting thing available back to the new company as well as, you know, the rest of the organization. But the other thing is that 
you know, you might take an honest look and say, what external events have an impact on my business, like weather, for example, or you know, foreign exchange rates or whatever. And if those matter to your business, you might as well go get the data and bring it in so that you have it for analysis so you can see different causes and effects. When I think that my marketing program is what drove all this new value from France, and then you realize, no, the foreign exchange rate flipped, and suddenly France thinks that everything I'm doing is really cheap. Okay, well, I know that. <laughs> That's different. So it's important, right? And it's easy mm-hmm. to convince yourself of something that isn't actually true. But I don't put that first. I don't put, I mean, second, I don't put that in the data collection phase because, frankly, it's kind of marginal ROI. You don't know yet what you don't know. And so you can always go back and get it later. So kind of go for the Occam's razor approach. Yeah, exactly. Well, this has been a fantastic framework to share with everyone. It's a lot more detailed than I've personally heard before. And it's clear you know, from your expertise that you've been through the ropes on it a couple times or through the ringer. So I really appreciate <laughs> that expertise. I got the arrows. Yeah, <laughs> you got the arrows for standing in the front. I think in general, I just want to say that I really appreciate the work that you do and the, the advice that you give to other people in the industry, as well as my own company, to help guide them through that pit of technology despair, that now unavoidable pit of technology despair. But I think all these suggestions will be really helpful in helping people know exactly what to do, when and why. So thank you for that. You bet. Okay. And by the way, thanks for having me on. I listened to all the episodes and I really enjoyed them, <laughs> although they are so dense with information. But yeah, I'm really enjoying them. So it's a pleasure for me to be on as well. Thank you. I don't know if that's a blessing or a curse that you can't listen to it at like 2x speed, but I know what you mean. Like I do that with most books and other technologies. I try to plow through them as fast as possible. So I'll take that as a good thing. Thank you, Bob. Well, if you didn't put so much information in them, then I could listen to them at 2x. So consider that. <laughs> <laughs> Too much meat. <laughs> All right. So let's summarize a little bit. First, we talked about why should I care about the pit of technology despair? We talked about technology, at least from the big guys, when they've gone through the whole process, they've kind of, as Bob was saying, taken the arrows and that output has become technology in the industry that's easier to manage, easier to gain the benefits from, smoother systems, easier to operate. And I think we agreed that you know, you're not going to avoid the pit altogether, but you can find a way to work through it more smoothly. And I think looking at those perhaps more recent technologies that come out like Hadoop and Hortonworks are, and Cloudera are actually great places to start because they're taking advantage of the front half of that curve where smoother systems have actually come through. So really good stuff there. And then second, we talked about what kind of impact can you get? And the bottom line there is we're going to worry less about the platform ROI and we're going to think more about the output because ultimately when you have performance from the platform, there are less questions about the value of it. So if you're unlocking insights, new features, customer happiness, new customer perceived value, then I think there are a lot fewer questions about the ROI of the platform, and there are easier ways to prove the value that your group is bringing the organization overall. 
So that was a really good section too. Now the third part was what should you do next? And we talked through a pretty extensive framework, but it basically comes down to a handful of pieces. I think there's five pieces here. Inventory the systems, consolidate, use them, share the information and findings, and then go back and get what you were missing. Repeat and refine all the way through. Bob, did I capture that about right? I heard yes, right? yeah, yeah. Good, you good. This podcast. You could have done a lot faster. <laughs> I doubt that. <laughs> I don't have nearly that level of knowledge. But Bob, thank you so much for joining us today. As always, everything we talk about and transcriptions of this are available at ambitiondata.com podcast. Remember, everyone, when you're using your data effectively, you can build customer equity. This isn't magic. It's just a very specific journey that you can use to get results. Thanks, everyone. See you next time. you for joining today's show. This is Allison. Just a few things before you head out. Every Friday, I put together a short bulleted list of three to five things I've seen that represent customer equity signal, not noise. And believe me, there's a lot of noise out there. I actually call this email the signal. Things I include could be smart tools I've run across, articles I've shared, cool statistics, or people and companies I think are doing amazing work building customer equity. If you'd like to receive this nugget of goodness each week, you can sign up at ambitiondata.com and you'll get the very next one. I hope you enjoy the signal. See you next week on the Customer Equity Accelerator.